This week on Geek Explained, to celebrate the release of Creed 3, we're taking a look at every film in the Rocky series and ranking them from worst to best. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is in celebration of the release of Creed 3. As of this recording, Creed 3 is going to be hitting theaters this Friday, and if you didn't know already, I am a huge fan of the Rocky and Creed movies. Uh, they were some of the first films that I ever remember really loving, and Every installment has a place in my heart for one reason or another. So we're taking a look at the entire series from Rocky all the way up to Creed 2 and ranking them from worst to best. We also have, of course, this week's Comics Countdown, where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week, as well as the weekly review on the latest episode of The Flash. So make sure you stay tuned after the jump for that but for now, let's roll right on into the main event, the main course, the entree, if you will, as I take a look at every single film in the Rocky and Creed series and decide which ones are just a bum and which ones truly have the eye of the tiger. So I have always loved the Rocky movies. I remember seeing my first Rocky movie, it was Rocky 3, and kind of working backwards when I was a kid, uh, learning about the series, learning about the characters, learning about the mythology of Rocky Balboa, and something that always stuck with me and I didn't really realize until I got older was that it's comic book storytelling. The first film, even though it was presented very much as a prestige, you know, Oscar-worthy film, kind of stands alone against the rest, you know, of Rocky 2 through 6. And as the series would go on, it would become a little bit more cartoonish, it would become a little bit more uh, good versus evil, hyperbolic, you know, Saturday morning cartoon. And as the series has evolved into the Creed movies, I've really taken an interest in re-watching those films every so often and just reliving how much I love the Rocky series. I absolutely adore really any boxing movie, but... Man, Rocky and Creed have always held a special place in my heart. And as we are on the eve of the release of Creed 3, as of this recording, I wanted to take a look back at the rest of the series. Rocky 1 through Rocky Balboa, as well as the two Creed films prior to the release of the new one, and rank them from worst 
to best, which might be a misnomer in a way. I don't genuinely think that any of these are bad films. Uh, there is one that is definitely quality-wise below everything else, but even then, I don't think it's a terrible film. And as we go along here, uh, I know that some of my choices might be divisive, might be uh, unpopular, but it's my list. And that's the beautiful thing about lists is that everybody's got them. So if you have a list, dear listener, if you have a personal ranking one through eight of all of the Rocky and Creed films up to this point, share them with me. Let them know. Let me know. I want to hear about your list. I want to wax poetic about the story of Rocky Balboa and the legacy of Adonis Creed. And let's let's get that conversation going because I have loved these films for a very long time and I always love getting to share them. I actually think this might be the first time I've really sat down and discussed these films in depth. And it makes me really excited because as we are getting into this, uh, we are very quickly approaching our fifth anniversary. Five years of the Geeksplain podcast. And it feels correct that we would eventually come here before we hit that large milestone. So, without further ado, I'm going to be ranking these 1 through 8. 8 being my least favorite, 1 being my absolute favorite. And we're going to start things off at number 8, which I think to the surprise of no one is Rocky Five. Releasing in 1990, directed by John G. Alvidson, his return to the franchise after directing the very first Rocky film and having no involvement when it comes to directing the film since. Uh, the film was written, just like most of the films on this list, by Sylvester Stallone, and the premise goes like this. Reluctantly retired from fighting, Rocky takes charge of Mickey's gym and agrees to train a young protege who's hungry for success. Couple production notes. I'm not going to get too in depth. If you've listened to any of our other Geeksplain Extra series that go through basically what I call the unofficial Geeksplained movie club uh, with good brothers Chris Carter and AJ Kincaid, uh, go ahead and check those out. We did Spidey Sember going through all the Spider Man films. We did uh, Into the Snyderverse where we talked about every single film in the DCEU. Um, those get pretty in depth, and I'm not going to go as in depth in case we ever decide to do these films which i would absolutely love i'm just going to put it out into the universe that we one day do a series examining each of these movies one by one but i'm going to knock out some production notes for each of these films because i think they're interesting and i think they're worth sharing so Couple of production notes on Rocky V. Rocky V was initially envisioned as the final film of the franchise. It was going to be it. After the waning success of the Rocky franchise and films like Rocky, Sylvester Stallone was kind of realizing, I'm almost out of ideas. <laughs> so he decided, you know what, I am going to make this the final film. And initially, in his first draft, Rocky was going to die. At the end of the film, there are going to be spoilers. I'm just going to put this out there. Quick disclaimer, I'm going to be talking spoilers throughout this entire episode. So if you haven't seen any of these movies, what are you doing? Go. Go, go watch those movies. Pause this. Go watch those movies. And then come back. And then yell at me about how my rankings are wrong. But 
the initial ending of this film, Rocky was going to die in his fight with Tommy Gunn. And it's, you know, looking back at it, it was the right decision to change the ending. Uh, After putting the ending together, they filmed the initial ending. And then uh, Stallone looked at this. He's like, no, this isn't right. Because in his words, he the Rocky films were about overcoming adversity. And if Rocky just dies in a street brawl in the street, that doesn't really speak to him overcoming adversity. So they changed the ending so that he wins the fight and kind of rides off into the sunset. This also, uh, this film is the last in-person appearance of both Mickey and Adrian in the entire franchise. Mickey at this point had already died in Rocky III, but the actor of Mickey was still around. He He didn't die, just the character died. So they had him film some new scenes that were used as flashbacks to prior to Rocky III. And then Adrian, as we'll discuss in uh, one of the upcoming um, placements... This is her swan song, which is kind of sad in retrospect because she doesn't get a lot to do in this film. It's mostly just kind of chastising Rocky for not spending enough time with his kid, which I understand. But it is sad to see that she doesn't get a more prominent role in the overall narrative of the film uh also a quick note for my fellow pro wrestling fans because you know i can't go one episode without bringing it up uh the final fight between rocky and tommy in the film was actually choreographed by one terry funk pro wrestling legend terry funk but basically, the movie is about Rocky, who has since retired from Rocky IV uh, after his climactic battle with Ivan Drago. And he stumbles upon a young boxer named Tommy the Machine Gun. And eventually, Tommy is brought under Rocky's wing. And as he becomes a more successful fighter, he is corrupted, ending with a climactic fight and a climactic showdown between him and Rocky in the streets of Philadelphia. Now, getting into some of the cast highlights, uh, I'm going to be talking about him every film because he is the star and he does go through quite a change across all of the films. Sylvester Stallone as Rocky Balboa in Rocky V. I think it's really, really fascinating to see what he's doing here because at this point, Rocky's become kind of a caricature in the in Rocky V, a little bit in Rocky IV as well, but especially in Rocky V, Rocky has become this caricature of the character that we met back in the first Rocky movie. And watching him, you know, get super excited about about Tommy and about kind of vicariously living through Tommy and his success is a strange choice. Um, Also, with how much he's focused on his family and how much he's loved his family in previous installments, him kind of abandoning his son for his new son is also a little upsetting. Uh, it's, it's, it might be a little triggering, who knows? But I, I think he does a great job in trying to put as neat of a bow on the character as possible, because after this, they didn't really have a plan. This was envisioned as the end of the road for that character. And so he tried to kind of hit all the beats with Rocky and to varying degrees of success. I think he, uh, he did his best, uh, his Main antagonist slash deuteragonist for most of the film is Tommy Gunn, played by Tommy Morrison, who was a legit boxer, just like many of the characters that pop up throughout the Rocky franchise. And 
I mean, Tommy Morrison isn't what I'd call, like, an Oscar award-winning actor, but he does what he can in this movie, and I think he makes the role of Tommy Gunn believable. Uh, he's absolutely has the pedigree for the boxing part of it, and it is interesting to see him start out as this really, like, humble, uh, hustling guy who's just trying to learn from the greatest of all time and then slowly get corrupted by one George Washington Duke, played by Richard Gant, who is just, I mean, he's the most. He is a big-time boxing promoter who takes Tommy under his wing once he starts to get some wins under his belt and corrupts the young man into hating his former mentor. And I just, I mean, he's great. He's a great character. Only in America. I just, just, oh, he's great. He's fantastic. Uh, And then I do want to make a quick point about Sage Stallone as Robert Balboa Jr. Uh, Sage Stallone, as you could probably tell, is Sly's very real son. And him getting to play uh, Rocky Jr., essentially, uh, in the film is nice. I like the journey that he goes on where he has to deal with, you know, the neglect from his father, learning to um, stand on his own two feet and trying to connect with his father on a level that he doesn't feel like he's had before. And the story between him and Rocky is actually really, really sweet um, in that Rocky learns the error of his ways and he learns about how much he's been neglecting his son. And the two of them reconciling and bonding over the course of the film is really sweet to see. Uh, Some of my favorite scenes from the film, the cold open. Uh, This is going to be a trend throughout this this series and throughout this ranking, but I don't think any of the Rocky movies have bad openings. I think all of their openings are fantastic. Every single Rocky movie opens with a wonderful scene. And in this one, it's Rocky dealing with the effects of the fight against Ivan Drago. Now, uh, in the film, it's stated that he suffered brain damage and that he would no longer be allowed to box anymore. And so he was kind of forced into retirement. Um, Later on, Stallone and other writers on the movies would talk about how the technology and the research of the day uh, would give maybe a false reading of what his true condition was, which, as they've stated later on, is basically just a really intense concussion that lasts a little bit longer than a normal concussion will. It's weird, and the retconning to make sure that they're able to get the uh, get the character back into the ring later on is a little suspect. But I do like watching the opening of the film with him dealing with the effects of that. He's suffered essentially PTSD from fighting a monster like Drago, and I love seeing him struggle. I love seeing him vulnerable. It's what made us fall in love with this character in the first place. And so I really, really love that. Any Mickey flashback that pops up in the film is fantastic. Mickey is the heart and soul of the first half of those Rocky movies, and him showing up in the final installment really, it it felt correct. It felt like the right thing to do for that character. Um, Also, I just, I love the scene. I love the scene where Rocky apologizes to Adrian, apologizes to his son, and he reconciles with him. And then ultimately the last act of the film where Rocky punches uh, George Washington Duke after he's like, don't touch me, I'll sue you. And he 
fucking uppercuts this guy straight onto the hood of the car. And it was like, you'll sue me for what? Because he's broke. He has no money. It's just, it's the perfect little button on the film that we really desperately needed as the send-off for that character, that man of the people. So I really, again, Rocky Five, not my favorite of the series, not really my cup of tea but there are there are certain gems in that film that i think do make it sing unfortunately it just doesn't stack up to the rest of the films so that is why it is at number eight at number seven we have rocky Two. In 1979, the sequel to the critically acclaimed Rocky was released. This one was written and directed by Sylvester Stallone. Sly, I believe, making his directorial debut. I might be wrong about that, but who knows. The premise of the film goes as thus. Rocky struggles in family life after his bout with Apollo Creed, while the embarrassed champ insistently goads him to accept a challenge for a rematch. So... In the lead-up to this film, they greenlit the film. However, the original director for the first uh, for the first film, Avildsen, Avildsen. I tried to do this off mic, and I just I I cannot get that name right. Uh, had other commitments, so he left. They wanted to fast track this, so Stallone lobbied hard to direct the film. And even though the studio initially pushed back against this, eventually. The studio relented, and he was able to direct the film. Uh, there's also a really cool... I, I guess that's not cool, but it's an interesting anecdote with the film in that there's a point in the film where Rocky has to switch hands uh, because it's in the film explained as a diversionary tactic, a little uh, bait-and-switch in his climactic battle against Apollo Creed. But in reality, the reason that this happened was because Rocky broke his hand due to a weightlifting accident, and so they had to film him using his other hand in the film to explain that away. Uh, this movie is really interesting, right? Because the first Rocky, spoiler alert again, ends with him losing to Apollo Creed. And at the end of the film, Apollo and Rocky agree that there's not going to be a rematch. And if the franchise never went anywhere from there, I think Rocky as a film would be even bigger in the annals of, you know, the overall uh, mythological pantheon of Oscar award-winning films. But as we did come to see in the second film, Apollo got pissed because people saw this and saw the inspiring story of the Italian stallion Rocky Balboa, and they were like, well, Apollo didn't deserve that win. And so through pressure in the media from fans the two decide to have a rematch once and for all to, to decide who the better man truly is and this movie i think almost out of all of the other films is a carl weathers masterclass. carl weathers is apollo creed for the second time in the series and he absolutely steals the show for me in this one um Sly is obviously the draw, right? He is the main character. The series is named after him, for God's sake. But the two of them share almost equal screen time in the film. And this is the movie where I really fell in love with Carl Weathers as that Apollo Creed character. Him dealing with the insecurity of people calling him a paper champion and him 
deciding I need to prove something now. Rocky had something to prove in the last film, now I have something to prove. And watching the two of them grow and change across this film is really, really cool. Uh, Burt Young also plays uh, Polly Panino, and he is another uh, mainstay throughout the series. This was the movie where, again, I kind of really started to enjoy Polly. Uh, the first movie he's featured, obviously, he's the connect between Rocky and Adrian, and he's also part of Rocky less than stellar dealings but this movie is him trying to I guess motivate himself to support Rocky this would be followed up upon in Rocky 3 but this was the movie that I really like Polly first really caught my eye and then obviously Burgess Meredith as Mickey Goldmill the fighter's fighter the fighter's coach and Mickey is just a delight uh mickey is this absolute firecracker that steals every scene that he's in and his rapport with rocky is really really good across all three of the first three films but in this movie it's interesting to watch him try and deal with rocky looking at life after boxing and him drawing Rocky back in, and the two of the, there's there's this great moment after Adrian uh, gives birth to uh, her and Rocky's baby, where she's like, "I want you to go win," and fucking Mickey's immediately just like, "All right, let's get back to it. Here we go. What are we doing here?" And I I love that character. I love that character to pieces. Uh, favorite scenes for me again. The opening scene is wonderful. I just I love. Rocky and Apollo sitting in the hospital wing and just talking about, again, how there's not going to be a rematch, the two of them dealing with the uh, ramifications of the life that they have chosen. I just really, really dig it. Uh, Rocky's proposal is also really short and sweet. You know, he hopefully you wouldn't mind marrying me so much like i just i just love rocky and adrian together it's just so good um it is unfortunate that uh adrian is in a coma for most of this movie really unfortunate but her chemistry with rocky is still off the charts and it remains so a training montage probably the most iconic out of the original Rocky series, um, don't worry, we're getting to it. Don't, don't, don't you, don't you worry. Don't get ahead of me here. Um, the training montage is iconic. What everyone attributes the first Rocky movie to with its training montage is actually Rocky II's training montage. Um, I know this because I regularly confuse the two, but this is the inspiring one with the kids and the citizens of Philadelphia running alongside him. It's just, it's a great scene. And then obviously the final fight between Apollo and Rocky, the rematch that we have all been waiting for, a great scene, one of the best endings to a final fight in the Rocky series where Rocky swings and hits both of them. They both fall in slow-mo to the mat and they're both trying to climb up and Rocky is just able to get to his feet of the count of nine and he wins the world championship. Um, it doesn't quite have the same punch, no pun intended, uh, as the films that obviously rank ahead of it but it is a solid follow-up to the first rocky film and does kind of fulfill the other half of that story 
Like, if you're okay, like, I think a lot of people, I myself, was okay with the story of Rocky not winning, not being the point. But for those of you or viewers who were like, but I want to see him win, this absolutely scratches that itch, and it does follow up on the first Rocky really nicely. It just doesn't quite stick in the brain when it comes to the series as a whole, which I think is why it ranks lower here for me. Next up at number six, we have Rocky Balboa, aka Rocky Six from 2006, again written and directed by Sylvester Stallone. The premise is like this. 30 years after the ring of the first bell, Rocky Balboa comes out of retirement and dons his gloves for his final fight against the reigning heavyweight champ, Mason the Line Dixon. Uh, this one is really interesting, right? This one is special for me because this was the first Rocky movie that I saw on release. Um, I had been I guess indoctrinated might be a harsh word, but I, at that point, had been acclimated to the Rocky films throughout my childhood, but this was the first time where I was like, I get to see a Rocky movie in the theaters? Like, this was a big deal for me, so this one has always had a special place in my heart, but the production on this is interesting, right? Uh... Stallone obviously is getting back to the ring. He's much older than in the first uh, Rocky movie or even in the previous Rocky movie. And so he wanted a big name from the boxing world to help sell the film. He initially wanted Roy Jones Jr., who is an iconic boxer, but Jones Jr. did not return any of Sly's calls. So eventually... Uh, Stallone settled on Antonio Tarver to play the role of Mason the Line Dixon. And he's fine. Uh, Antonio Tarver, as another boxer turned actor for the film, he's probably the weakest out of all of them. But I would say he serves his role well. He serves his role of the cocky Mayweather-esque character that doesn't get the respect that he thinks he's owed. And it makes a really nice foil for Rocky's character in the film. Uh, it also is really interesting. I, I found this out, and I think this is hilarious. Uh, Antonio Tarver accidentally KO'd Stallone during the filming. <laughs> There's a moment in the uh, final fight where he knocks Rocky down. And you see uh, Stallone drop to his knees and kind of struggle to get back up. That was real. That was legit. He knocked him senseless. And they decided to keep it in for the sake of the film, for the sake of realism. And then the biggest, I think, thing about this movie is obviously the lack of Adrian. Uh, the actress for Adrian was... I mean, still around at the time. She still is, as far as I know. Uh, but Rocky decided... Rocky decided. Uh, Sylvester Stallone decided during the scripting of this that the lack of Adrian, that the death of his wife would put a unique uh, pressure and struggle onto Rocky that we hadn't seen before. And after having a conversation with her, with the actress who plays Adrian, uh, her name I have here. Sorry, I am bad at my job. Uh, Tal uh, Talia Shire. Talia Shire. Um, the two decided that for the sake of the storyline, of the sake of the narrative, it was the best thing for Adrian to not be around. And it's revealed during the course of the film that she died due to cancer, unfortunately. 
other cast members that I think need to be highlighted. Milo Ventimiglia, my favorite actor and yours, plays Robert Balboa Jr., a.k.a. Rocky Jr., all growed up. Uh, the decision to not include Sage Stallone at the time, uh, I don't know exactly what the decision was for that but i don't think you could have possibly picked a better actor to play rocky's son uh, milo ventimiglia has this way about him where just like stallone he kind of talks out the side of his mouth and it always seems like he's chewing on something and it's just so it's uncanny it might be one of if not the best child to parent castings that we've ever seen um he steals a lot of this film and it's not just because of his performance his performance is great but his connection his chemistry with stallone as rocky is off the charts and the bitterness and the uh anger that he holds for being in rocky's shadow throughout most of if not all of his life really sells this character and it leads into one of my favorite scenes which i will get to in just a second uh also geraldine hughes as marie as one of the kids who originally uh i guess you know heckled rocky in the first film all grown up here with a son of her own uh she is see it's a weird thing because rock's a widower in this movie but then he also has a slight you know romantic subplot with marie um i like them i like marie i like geraldine hughes in the role uh it's just a weird choice it is a very very weird choice however i think their chemistry works they work really well together and it's just it's really fun she's really good and then the one who steals the movie for me. This is Tony Burton's show. Tony Burton as Tony Duke Evers, former trainer of Apollo Creed, former trainer of Rocky, and stepping back into that role for this movie. He is the man. He is the best. This is my favorite performance of uh of Tony Evers in the film and or in the series and he just he's so freaking good he's so freaking good you're gonna hit him so hard it's gonna rattle his ancestors like I just ah, I love him so much he's fantastic in this um he does everything that you could possibly do to match the energy of Burgess as uh Mickey from the original films and it's just Oh, man, it sings. It's so good. Uh, some of my favorite scenes, I mentioned before, the Rocky and Marie uh, scenes. The meet cute especially is really nice, seeing uh, the two of them reconnect after so long. Um, the Rocky and Robert scene. The life isn't always going to be rainbows. Like... It ain't about how hard you're hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. Like, that speech has been part of my life for a large majority of it. It's a speech that I always go back to. It's a speech that still gives, you know, it still inspires and motivates me. And it's something that I think is probably the most iconic thing from the film. It's the thing that people remember the most. And so I, I mean, I love it. I love it. I love it. It's a great scene. And it's also kind of the reality check for both of them. 
needing to say the things that they never said to each other before. And it's it's just, it's a wonderful, wonderful scene. Uh, the training montage is fantastic. It is absolutely uh right up there with some of the best training montages don't 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 worry don't worry don't get ahead of me here um it's a wonderful return to form it's got all the hallmarks that you could ask for and again duke is the best and then the ending the ending of the film is amazing again rocky loses but again it doesn't matter rocky winning is not the point of the film it's him trusting and believing in himself that he can do this one last time to make it through the fight and to reconcile and repair every relationship that he had with all the people throughout the series up till that point. And if the series ended here, I think it would have been a lovely six films that Stallone could have hung his hat on. But it wasn't quite the end. However, Looking at the film as a whole, again, it's kind of the film, I think it it might be, I struggle to say that it's the weakest film out of the bunch, because it's still a very well-made film, Stallone still got it, but it also is very formulaic. Stallone and Rocky, you know, they were in a rhythm. At this point in the series, you know what to expect when it comes to a Rocky film. And this hit all the all the hallmarks of a Rocky film. It doesn't, I don't think it exceeds any film in any aspect, uh, except for Rocky V. But I do think it's still a solid film, and it's worth checking out again if you haven't watched it in a while. But it does sit at the number six spot. At number five, and this is where we get a little bit, maybe perhaps, uh, controversial. Rocky IV. Rocky IV, 1985, written and directed by Sylvester Stallone. Premise goes like this. Rocky Balboa proudly holds the World Heavyweight Boxing Championship, but a new challenger has stepped forward, Drago, a 6'4", 261-pound fighter who has the backing of the Soviet Union. I pulled all of these premises, these premies, these premies, whatever the plural version of that is from IMDb, so if they sound weird, blame IMDb. Uh, this film might just be the most iconic Rocky film out of all of them. This is a cultural touchstone, the likes of which I don't know if any other Rocky movie has ever reached. Uh, This movie is, when you think about what the most 1980s movie is, it's Rocky IV. Period. It just is. It is the most 80s movie I've ever watched in my entire life. For better and for worse. When it comes to the production of this film, a couple notes that I want to mention here. Um, Stallone and Lundgren actually legit sparred in the opening scenes for their fight. And Lundgren injured Stallone to the point that that he had to be brought to a nearby hospital to check out his injuries. Uh, Lundgren was no joke. And Stallone was basically like, I want to legit spar for the opening of this. And for the, you know, opening rounds of this fight. He's like, okay. And then he absolutely gave it to Stallone. So it's, I guess it's like a rite of passage to be dropped or to be like legit hurt in these films, which I, maybe it's not the healthiest thing, but I I do think that it's interesting and a kind of fun little tidbit that at every point in every single one of these Rocky movies, somebody gets dropped at one point or another. 
There was also a big confrontation between Carl Weathers and Dolph Lundgren during the filming of the movie in that during their fight, they got a little rough with each other and Weathers at one point rolled out of the ring, stormed off saying, I'm going to talk to my agent. I'm done with this. This is bullshit. And Rocky had to go. Rocky. Again, I keep doing that. Uh, Stallone had to go and bring them both together and have a uh, a peer-reviewed meeting between the two of them to get them back into the same ring and to continue filming. The filming actually, due to this, was held up by about three days. And just three days worth of a feud between Weathers and Lundgren is just, it's perfect. It's perfection. The robot that features in this movie uh, is actually called Psycho, S-I-C-O, and is actually or was actually a SAG member, which as a SAG actor myself, feels a little weird to know that he was part of SAG or it was part of SAG. I don't know. It's odd. Uh, It also toured with James Brown in the 80s following the release of this film, which is hilarious to me. Um, And then we got a big old director's cut, Rocky IV, Rocky vs. Drago, that released in November 11th, uh, 2021. So just a couple of years ago. Really cool. Uh, This is the movie that, I mean, shot Rocky into mythical proportions. Uh, Rocky is encountered by Ivan Drago, who wants to challenge him for the heavyweight title. Rocky refuses, and so Apollo steps in the ring. The two battle Apollo is killed. Rocky seeks revenge against Drago, giving up his or forfeiting his title to go fight him in Soviet Russia. And he does end up fighting and defeating Drago. Um, this movie, man, this movie is what turned the Rocky movies into Saturday morning cartoons for better and for worse. It's not always a bad thing, uh, but the the cast in this is working on another level as opposed to previous films. They, they have slipped slightly into caricature, not as much as um, we would see with Stallone in Rocky five, but this is as close as we get to comic book storytelling when it comes to the Rocky movies. Sylvester Stallone is Rocky. Again, he is this, you know, Superman, Captain America style character uh, fighting for the little guy, fighting for, in this case, fighting for America against the Red Scare. And he's, I mean, he's fantastic. He's wonderful in this. Carl Weathers as Apollo Creed. Again, Carl Weathers is a highlight in the series. He might be the best quote unquote actor in the first four movies, but he's just. His stuff, even though he's just there for like the first third of the movie, is phenomenal. Watching him deal with the idea of growing old and his age was initially planted as a narrative seed in Rocky Three, but here you see how much it bothers him. You see that he's like, I have something to prove here. And then we get his his magnum opus, the living in America entrance, his fight with, uh, with Drago and his untimely death, which would, of course, propel us into the later Creed films. Um, he's wonderful in this. Dolph Lundgren is Captain Ivan Drago, uh, is the greatest possibly the greatest 80s villain that you could ask for he is tall he's imposing he's scary he must break you and he is fantastic in the role he doesn't have a lot 
emoting wise or character depth wise but he's great in the role and as an antagonist as the uh, unstoppable force to rocky's immovable object uh bridget nielsen as Ludmila Vobet Drago, uh, Drago's wife, is also really good in this. Uh, Bridget Nelson- Nielsen was also Rocky's uh, wife at one point. I believe they started dating during the course of this film, and ultimately they ended up uh, divorcing later on. But she's great as kind of the... I mean, in in modern-day terms, she would be considered mommy. But... She is just this, she does most of the talking for Drago, she does most of the uh, really great line reads, goading people into fights. She's a wonderful force of nature in this movie. And then this is the movie where I first really started to dig Tony Burton as Tony Duke Evers. Uh, Duke in this goes from being Apollo's trainer to Rocky's trainer, and we get this great scene between him and Rocky where he talks about how much he saw Apollo as a son and how his death hangs so heavy on him. So really, Rocky fighting Drago is fighting for the both of them. It's just a great, great performance by Tony Burton. It's just super, super good. Uh, Favorite scenes, obviously Apollo versus Drago. I mean, come on. Living in America. Him dressed up in his uh, Sam Adams. Like, that specific uh, Apollo Creed costume is iconic like when you think of apollo creed that is what people think of and it's so so good um the no easy way out scene where rocky dealing with the death of his best friend gets in his car and he drives as we get the if there's no easy way out there's no shortcut home as we're getting flashes of drago as this like nightmare creature it's so good and it's so much 80s cheese you can't get enough you just can't get enough uh the training montage is iconic almost if not more iconic than the second movie's uh training montage don't get ahead of me we're getting there it's just i mean rocky running up the mountain at the top and just shouting drago as the camera pans around um and that's also the hearts on fire it's the first time that the uh full that the montage doesn't use the uh getting stronger the gonna fly now song it uses hearts on fire possibly the most 80s song that ever existed and it's it's perfection and then obviously the final fight between rocky and drago the ultimate battle between good and evil it's just it's great the ending does get a little weirdly preachy about rocky going like if i could change you can change but it is again just 80s cheese to the max it's a wonderful wonderful movie and as possibly the most iconic rocky movie it had to be in the top five but it didn't beat out its spiritual successor. At number four, we've got Creed 2, the first installment of Creed on the list. Uh, Creed 2 released in 2018, which means it released over 30 years. Right? Am I doing that right? 85, 95. Yes, over 30 years after Rocky Four, We got what is... Basically, the sequel to Rocky IV. Uh, It's directed by Stephen Caple Jr. and it's written by Jewel Taylor and Sylvester Stallone. The premise goes like this. 
under the tutelage of Rocky Balboa, newly crowned heavyweight champion Adonis Creed faces off against Victor Drago, the son of Ivan Drago. So this movie obviously was made off of the success of the first film. Uh, They immediately greenlit a sequel after the success of the first film. However, unfortunately, filming had to be delayed due to Ryan Coogler and uh, Michael B. Jordan's involvement in Black Panther. Coogler was directing. Jordan was the main antagonist. And so, ultimately, Coogler had to withdraw from the directing duties, which then passed to Stallone for a short time until it was ultimately landed to uh, Stephen Cable Jr., who I think does a really good job in this film. You can tell that the DNA is still there, but it does feel a bit more heightened than the first Creed movie. It feels closer to classic Rocky in its presentation. Which I think is kind of fitting because this is ultimately Sylvester Stallone's goodbye to Rocky Balboa as a character. This was his swan song. Um, I'll talk about it a little bit more when I get into my favorite scenes, but this was um, this was initially a a choice that Stallone had to come to when he decided not to direct the film he basically decided this is going to be my last ride for rocky it's the last time he's going to appear and um that's just going to be it for the character uh and i think this is as good a goodbye to the character as you can get um stallone is a powerhouse in this film he shows how much the events of previous films have affected him um it's it's oh god it's so good it's so freaking good i just i can't even it's so good man like i i love his involvement in this there's a there's a scene where he's talking to uh talking to adonis um when adonis is t- telling him that he wants to take the fight and he's like that guy broke things in me that ain't never been fixed. And you know that's true, because if you watch the if you watch Rocky V and every movie after that, you know how much the the specter of Ivan Drago has um I mean has haunted him forever. It's crazy. Um this also, I mean, this might just have the greatest trailer of all time. Certainly one of, if not my favorite trailer of all time that I've ever watched of a movie ever. Uh, I love the trailer. I watch this trailer once a week, literally. I watch the initial trailer to Rocky, or sorry, to Creed 2 at least once a week. It's that good. Um, Getting into the rest of the cast, uh, Michael B. Jordan is Adonis Creed. I'm going to get into him more as I talk about uh, the first Creed movie. But he is achieving that rocky style like mythological hero in this while dealing with a lot of humanity he is i I would say if i had to rank him from like rocky one to rocky five he's solidly in like rocky two area where he's still got he's still uh vulnerable He's still a person who can be beaten, as we do see in this movie. Uh, we also see him struggle with, uh, with the idea of legacy, with family, with his upcoming, you know, nuptials to Bianca. The fact that they are going to have a kid, like it's a lot. Adonis and Bianca go through a lot in this 
uh, in this movie. And the two of them do such a great job in Jordan and Thompson really selling how much these characters have grown and how much growing they might still have to do. Uh, Felicia Rashad as Marianne Creed is an absolute delight. You knew when the premise of this film was released, when the trailer uh, for this film was released that she was going to be a big part of it and she was and she is phenomenal she's incredible in this and she really really does a great job selling her worry her bitterness her anger like ah she's so good she's so good in this uh Dolph Lundgren is Ivan Drago he returns and this Ivan Drago is so good you see the large the large gap in acting ability between Rocky IV, Dolph Lundgren, and Creed II, uh, Dolph Lundgren, it's its night and day. It's crazy. And he is phenomenal in this, as this embittered, down-on-his-luck, like, after Rocky beat him in Rocky IV, that was it for him. He never recovered. He fell down socially. He fell down physically. And all he has now is his bitterness and this vendetta against Rocky Balboa and everything he stands for. And so watching him evolve over the course of this movie and in the final scene when he's like hugging Victor and he's like, it's okay, it's okay, realizing the error of his ways. Oh, oh, it's so good. It's so good. You could very easily... Uh, look at this and say it's not even really uh, Creed versus Victor Drago. It's really Adonis Creed and Rocky versus Ivan Drago. Uh, and you would not be wrong in that respect. However, Florian Montano as Victor Drago is underrated <laughs> in this movie. I will say it again and again and again. Uh, for those who watch this and they're like, oh, like he he was just, you know, he's just Ivan 2.0. He had no personality. He's incredible. I think this was his first film. He was a, he's a, I think he's a, like a German boxer prior to uh, starring in this. And he is ridiculously good in this. He does such great eye acting and that sounds really weird as a term but you know it when you see it when you can see how much an actor can convey with their emotions through just their eyes through just the looks on their faces he's got it the moments where he is kind of appalled by his father and by the vendetta that is driving him. Uh, the fact that he shows remorse after brutally injuring Adonis. Like, there are moments in this movie, and I just watched this recently as I'm recording this, uh, where I'm looking at it going, God, he's really good. <laughs> he's really good. He might be one of the best actors when it comes to uh, Rocky slash Creed antagonists that the series has ever seen. He's phenomenal in this film. I really, really do want to highlight just how good he is. Uh, Russell Hornsby, I think, is also worth mentioning. Uh, he plays Buddy Marcel, who kind of plays a little bit of the uh, George Washington Duke role, where he is the skeevy uh charismatic fight promoter who goads adonis into the fight against drago the first time and i mean he's just in it for the money he's just in it for the clout and you can't res you, you can't 
you know, you can't argue with his hustle. He's good. He's good at his job. And he has some of the most, like, vicious, like, ah, fuck you, dude, kind of lines. He's very good at what he does. But this film is special in my heart because it features the return of the king in Milo Ventimiglia as Rocky Jr. Uh, He shows up just at the end, but the scene between him and Rocky, where Rocky goes to see his son, he hasn't seen him in years, and he shows up on his doorstep. Oh, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. Um, And Rocky meets his grandson. He meets Logan. And the two of them have this moment together where Rocky and Rocky, there's three generations of Balboa, and it truly feels like that storybook ending for him. Uh, Favorite scenes? The opening. The opening is so good. Watching... First of all, watching Victor Drago absolutely demolish people is, in a sickening kind of way, really cathartic and really satisfying. Uh, But then we also, I mean, we get that opening fight between Adonis and the uh, champion at the time, who I believe is uh, Danny Wheeler and stuntman and the two of them trading blow for blow uh donis winning the title it's it's great it's really really good stuff um i just ah it's it's a perfection and a great way to follow up on the ending of the previous film i also love directly after that the scene where uh donnie proposes to bianca as someone who uh recently proposed and went through all of the uh, terrifying feelings that Adonis went through in this movie. Big mood. I didn't appreciate it the first time I saw this movie back in 2018, but holy shit, on a rewatch, it's so... Ah, it fills my heart. Uh, Adonis versus Victor, both of the fights are fantastic. Um, the first one is kind is very hard to watch because Adonis is not ready for Victor Drago, and Victor absolutely destroys this man. And then the rematch is so, again, it's just, it's these gods fighting each other. And it's very, very cool to see. Uh, the second training montage specifically is one of my favorites. It's wonderful. Don't get ahead of me. We're getting there. Um, the first one is fine, but it's not, it, it's meant to feel a little off because he's not training with Rocky. And that makes the second montage where he is training with Rocky even better better and it's so freaking good i listen to the music from that all the time and then the ending i love the ending of this movie i genuinely love every single piece of the ending whether it's um adonis meeting uh adonis introducing (laughs) uh Oh, God, I'm, I'm getting emotional again. Adonis and Bianca introducing Amara to Apollo at his grave. Um, incredible. Uh, Rocky, you know, reconciling with his son and getting that sunset moment for him. The ending of the uh, Adonis and Victor fight where Rocky... Walk, oh, I'm not getting emotional here. Uh, walks up to Creed and he puts the fist up and he says, it's your time now. And that's the last thing that he says to Creed in this movie where he just kind of sits down, puts the hat on, and it's that goodbye to the character. And then obviously that scene that he gets with with Robert and his son 
And then the thing that I didn't realize was going to hit me as hard uh, upon the first watching and even upon the second watching and the third and the fourth and the fifth watching, um, the ending for the Dragos. We see at the beginning of the movie uh, Victor and Ivan, you know, running or really it's Victor running. Ivan's chasing him in the car to get him to go faster. And at the end, we see the two of them starting to repair their relationship. And it's just, it's it's beautiful. Again, the the face acting on um, on Montano's f- just entire performance in this movie, but especially in this scene, is just incredible. As Victor just kind of looks at his father, and he sees like, that's right, that's right. We're both people. We're flawed, and we can move forward. I ju- I just I love it. I love it so much. It's wonderful. Um, I think the reason that it doesn't rank higher for me is. I think the biggest criticism is in this movie is that it kind of smushes Rocky 2, 3, and 4 all together into one movie. And you can see that. Especially re-watching all the films for this. Um, you do see how compressed the film feels, just basically hitting the same beats as 2, 3, and 4. But even so, I freaking love this movie, man. It's... It's just wonderful. It's a great follow-up to the first Creed film, and I absolutely cannot wait to see how they top it in Creed 3. But speaking of threes, at number three, we have Rocky 3 from 1982, uh, written and directed by Sylvester Stallone once again. Premise is as such. Rocky faces the ultimate challenge from a powerful new contender and must turn to a former rival to help regain his throne as the undisputed fighting champion. This one is iconic, right? This movie introduces us to Clubber Lang. This one gives us the Eye of the Tiger. This one brings together the two main characters from the first two Rocky films to work together to fight this new villain. Uh, It's comic book storytelling. It at its finest. I love this film. Some production notes. Uh, initially, Stallone wanted Joe Frazier and Ernie Shavers to be Clubber Lang at separate points. Uh, though when they brought them to casting, Joe Frazier had a stuttering problem. He could not remember his lines, and he had a very bad stuttering problem. And Shavers had a very, I i guess he had a very high, he had like a higher-pitched voice that didn't gel with the character. So they did a search to find their clubber Lang, and they happened upon one Mr. T. And in 1982, this was before Mr. T was big time. So they grabbed this guy out of obscurity and turned him into a household name. This movie originated Mr. T's catchphrase, I pity the fool. Uh, I think everyone knows that phrase as his, but I don't think everyone knows that it originated in this movie. Uh, For you pro wrestling fans, Hulk Hogan makes an appearance as Thunderlips also before he was big time. Uh, He it's it's great. It's a fun little scene uh, between the two of them. He's so much larger than Stallone. And it's just you you can see the charisma that he's got. Uh, Originally, the um, the opening of this film was supposed to be set to You're the Best by Joe Esposito, which would later go on to be used in, I believe, Karate Kid, the first one. Uh, Stallone ended up nixing that and chose Eye of the Tiger instead. And as a special aside, 
This was my first Rocky movie. And that's due to the fact that this is my dad's favorite movie. Uh, when I was growing up, he would be able to recite this movie by heart. He was able to do that. And as the story goes, as the tall tale goes, uh, he, growing up, uh, couldn't afford a home release of the film. So he would go to the library and he would listen to it on tape. And he would listen to it again and again and again because it was his favorite movie to the point that he could recite the entire film word for word. It, and I remember watching it the first time and it was flawless. He knew exactly every single word uttered by every single character in the movie. It was incredible. Uh, the cast of this film is stacked. Uh, Sylvester Stallone is Rocky. This is a great movie for him. Uh, this takes all of the bravado and the otherworldness that you get from Rocky and Rocky IV and merges it seamlessly with the humanity from Rockies 1 and 2. The scene that he had, and I'll, I'll talk about it in a second, but the vulnerability that the character shows in this movie is really, really good. And it might be... I mean, he he ugly cries. When Apollo dies, he has this moment where he's like, oh, and he's like stoic. But when Mickey dies, oh man, he's ugly crying to the moon. And he's just, he's wonderful. Uh, Mr. T's Clever Lang there literally could not have been a more perfect casting for Clever Lang. I'm sure stuttering and, you know, not perfect voice aside, Frazier and Shavers could have done a great job, but no one embodies the spirit of a character like Mr. T embodies Clubber Lang. He is this wonderful, almost uh, broken mirror version of Rocky. We see him training like Rocky does. He's got a vicious streak to him. He can take hits. He can dish them out. It's just, he is the antithesis to Rocky. He is the dark Rocky Balboa. And no, not that way. Don't, don't. Um, it's, I, it's a really cool look at Rocky versus Rocky. And I think he is wonderful in the film. But again, this is the Carl Weathers show for me. Uh, Apollo Creed is wonderful in this. He's past his prime. He's retired. He gets into more than one shouting match with uh, with Clubber Lang. And him deciding to train Rocky to put this guy in his place. Ah, perfection. If you watch the first two movies before this, there is no better feeling than watching the two of them come together to smite this powerful foe that neither one of them could take on their own. This is also a great movie for Talia Shire as Adrian Balboa. Adrian is a dynamite in this film. Uh, all of the missed opportunities from Rocky II, you know, her being in a coma, her really kind of being saddled with, oh, I have to have a kid, so I th that's my focus. She gets to challenge Rocky in this. Again, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite scenes, but she is... She's a guiding light. She is exact... This is... Maybe my favorite film for Adrian is in this one. She's just, she's phenomenal. She's really, really great. And then, of course, Burgess Meredith as Mickey Goldmill. What can I say? This is Mickey's swan song. This is his death at the hands of a heart attack after getting roughed up by Clubba Lang. Uh, I mean, come on. It is exquisite.
a masterclass in character acting if I've ever seen one. Um, Mickey doesn't get to spend as much time with Rock as he does in the first two movies, obviously, for obvious reasons. But he's still a great, great character in this. The scene, and I guess I've done enough talking about the other stuff, so let's just talk about the scenes. The scene where he admits to Rocky that he has been stacking the odds for him, putting his thumb on the scale when it comes to Rocky's opponents and feeding into the idea that Rocky's a paper champion is just so good and such a betrayal of those characters and their friendship like ah I love when characters have to you know do the wrong thing for the right reason especially it it's just so tragic I just ah it's so great. Um, the opening of the film, Eye of the Tiger, obviously it's iconic for a reason. Uh, showing the paper champion uh, exploits of Rocky as Clubber Lang slowly rises up the ranks. It really does a great job setting you up for exactly what the film is going to be. Uh, the Thunderlips exhibition is really fun. Uh, it's kind of this light, fluffy, like, just giving kind of a spotlight to Hulk Hogan and all that. Pretty much, uh, th- this might be the first time I say this, it won't be the last, just every Clubber Lang scene, every single one that he features in, uh, is just, it's iconic. He is an incredible character. When he, like, goes up to Adrian, he's like, I'll show you how to be with a real man. Like, I just, he is, he is Will personified. Like, all that shit that Alec Baldwin's character says about Ethan Hunt and the Mission Impossible films can also be applied to Clubber Lang. Clubber Lang is the embodiment of Will. Uh, the Rocky and Mickey scene where Mickey, again, like, reveals to Rocky that he did that is just so good. Uh, the Rocky Apollo training montage. I'm getting to it. Don't don't get ahead of me. Uh, Rocky and Apollo. The two enemies, the once mortal enemies coming together for a common purpose to defeat Clubber Lang. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. Um, And then also just the scene with Rocky and Adrian. I love, I to the fucking love the scene where she shouts at him, I want the truth, and he shouts out, I'm afraid! Like, ah, the vulnerability, the pathos this is what we want if rocky had stayed in rocky 3 mode throughout the rest of the films i think the rest of the films would have been very different but either way i love the two of them together their chemistry is still off the charts and i love that scene uh rocky versus lang 2 the second fight much shorter than all of the other fights previous when it comes to both in universe time and also the actual movie time but a great slugfest that really sells Rocky's underdog story fighting against Clubber Lang and winning his belt back. And then the ending, of course. The ending where Rocky and Apollo get that rematch. The two of them ding, ding. And you get possibly the greatest Rocky ending out of those original films with the two of them just going for that punch as we get the it's the eye of the tiger it's the thrill of the fight it's just such a great 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 ending and absolutely helps to places at the top three so we now come to the top two and uh this one was really difficult Really, really difficult putting these these last two together. But it's also, I think, 
it's it's poetic in a way uh with both of them being incredible films with both of them being i think in their period of time cultural touchstones uh launching careers these films if you have them swapped i will not bother you about it i think either one of these could be number one and number two but for me in this moment having rewatched the entire series again at number two i have rocky 1976 1976 this film came out directed by john g avildsen see i did it i did it written by sylvester stallone premise goes like this a small-time Philadelphia boxer gets a supremely rare chance to fight the world heavyweight champion in a bout in which he strives to go the distance for his self-respect. That one's pretty good. It's pretty good, I think. Um, this movie launched Stallone. This was his star vehicle. Uh, Stallone originally wrote the screenplay in three and a half days. That's it. And he fought for his writing credit, and he fought for his role as Rocky. So long. So many studios. So many no's. Stallone persisted. And eventually, due to some help, due to his insistence, he landed the role. And this one launched him into super stardom. This is the most pared down version of Rocky. Obviously, because this was the first, there was no precedent. He is the most lovable version of the character in this movie. The film obviously introduces us to Rocky, introduces us to the world, to the characters, um, and ultimately leads to the battle where uh, Rocky loses against Apollo, but it's not about winning or losing, it's about going the distance, because no one thinks that he can do it. Sylvester Stallone is wonderful in this. But also, you know who else is wonderful? Talia Shire. I have not given her her flowers yet in this in this episode. And I really do think that she... Again, I said it for other characters and for other actors. No one else, I think, could have played Adriana, Adrian, Panino, later Balboa as well as she could have. She embodies the character. Her chemistry with Stallone is off the charts. And you get to see this wonderful story of two lost souls looking and yearning for some sort of connection play out. You get to see them find solace in each other. And it's just, it's beautiful. It really, really is. On that same, uh, on that same track, Burt Young as Polly Panino, Adrian's brother, is a wonderful scumbag. He is a character who doesn't get, I think, a lot of love throughout the films, and he's always a solid bit character. Not that he's like, oh, he's just a flash in the pan, but he is a character who has kind of a static character progression, and that's something that you do need in films. So I think he serves his purpose exquisitely and i think he does a great job in this film um burgess meredith as mickey this is the mickey show this is his movie we are introduced to him i said earlier that rocky three he is at an all-time high this is the best mickey gets this is a master class in character acting this is a master class in committing to a character and he's just he's off the charts here I absolutely adore the character of Mickey, and he is established in this movie. In that same vein, 
Carl Weathers is Apollo Creed. He's incredible. He doesn't get the kind of pathos that we see in two and three, but he is, as an antagonist, wonderful. He's charismatic. He's charming. He's braggadocious. Everything that Rocky isn't, he is, and vice versa, which makes the time that they share with each other on screen so, so freaking good. I love the two of them together. Uh, also, as a quick little aside that I don't think anybody really talks about, Joe Spinelli is Tony Gatso. Uh, he's, he's great. He is the mob boss that, uh, Rocky is initially a, uh, basically muscle for, a hired muscle. And, uh, his comeuppance in the film is really nice. I, I do enjoy, um, Rocky learning that he doesn't need him. I just, I love stories like that. Favorite scenes? Uh, I said it with Rocky 3, but I'm now going to parrot that here. Every Mickey scene! Every single one! Every scene that they have together is just magic. And Mickey as a character, I would watch a million movies with Mickey just going around teaching people how to fart lightning and crap thunder. I just, I, I love, I love Mickey as a character and every scene he shines in. Uh, also, every Rocky and Adrian scene. I love the two of them together. Again, their chemistry is, uh, it's electric. It really, really is. Um, the moment on the doorstep is burned into my memory and into the memories of most fans of the Rocky franchise. Training montage. Even though it's not, I would say, one of the stronger uh, training montages. We're getting to it. We're almost there. Don't worry. Uh, I do think that it, you know, it set the groundwork for every other training montage that came after it. And obviously the end fight between Rocky and Apollo, iconic. 100%. And the ending, the ending, where it is made abundantly clear it's not about winning and losing for Rocky. It's about proving to the doubters that he could go the distance. I love this movie. It deserves all the awards, deserves all the acclaim. But for me, there was just one movie better. And that is, of course, at number one, 2015's Creed. Directed by Ryan Coogler and written by Ryan Coogler and Aaron Covington. I have such a special place for this movie i loved the rocky films when they were coming out well when the first when the the only one that i got to see in theaters was coming out but i loved that franchise i loved re-watching those movies over the years and i distinctly remember sitting in a theater when this trailer came on and you see this boxer i'm like sweet i fucking love boxing movies i'm into this and then you hear him say, I heard there was a third fight between the two of you. Who won? And then out of the shadows comes Sylvester Stallone, and he goes, how do you know all this? I lost my shit. I lost my goddamn mind because I love these movies, and getting to see the comeback of this franchise was, I mean, it was mind-blowing. Uh, the premise goes like this. The former world heavyweight champion Rocky Balboa serves as a trainer and mentor to Adonis Johnson, the son of his late friend and former rival, Apollo Creed. And that's really all you need to know about. It is that story. But also, it's much more. Uh, some production notes. Coogler. Ryan Coogler was hired after the success of Fruitville Station 
Great movie, also starring Michael B. Jordan. Uh, Goodison Park served as the battleground for uh, the final fight between uh, Pretty Ricky Conlon and Donis Creed, while also being the actual location for actor and boxer Tony Ballou, who played uh, Pretty Ricky Conlon's real title fight in 2016, which I believe he won as well. Uh, Just a really cool thing that I like. Uh, This is the first film in the series not written by Stallone, and I just, I love this movie. I love this movie. This is a top five movie for me. Um... On depending on what day you ask me, this might be my favorite movie of all time. Who knows? Uh, I love the idea of legacy. I always have. Uh, it's always been like something that's really uh, stuck in my craw when it comes to the things that I like, the things that I look for in stories. Legacy was always a good hook for me. Um, living up to expectations, exceeding them, forging your own path. It's something that I think we can all relate to and having this movie that i love set in this world that i love with this franchise that i love with characters that i love it's there's there's literally nothing better uh getting into the cast michael b jordan is adonis creed at this point uh jordan hadn't really taken off Yet, he had appeared in other things. Fruitvale Station really got him some attention. I remember first watching him in Chronicle and loving him in that movie. Uh, But this was the movie where I really, I mean, I loved Michael B. Jordan. Uh, He'd also popped up in Fantastic Four. But that's not important. What is important is that we got this movie. Uh, He is dynamic. He is explosive. He is a flawed character who has to deal with his insecurities and his doubts and his anger. He is a perfect protagonist. Uh, If you listened last year to uh, the finale of Bat March, where I hit episode 200, uh, my pitch it for a Batman Beyond film. Uh, If you haven't listened to it, go back. It's one of my favorite episodes, one of my favorite pitches I've ever done. Inspired heavily, both in tone and narrative, by Creed. I love this movie. And Michael B. Jordan's performance is a large part of that. Also, Tessa Thompson is Bianca Taylor, my forever crush. Uh, Tessa Thompson, the hold that Tessa Thompson has on me is unyielding. (laughs) uh, Her character, Bianca, is just a character that has so much pathos. Uh, You you get to see a character who is going through, you know, the progressive hearing loss, but also has her own wants, her own dreams, her own ambitions. And that's something that I think to a lesser degree, they did continue on in Creed too. But I love the amount of identity that she has in this outside of her relationship with Adonis. Really, really dig it. Um, Felicia Rashad is Marianne Creed. She is incredible absolutely a powerhouse in this she doesn't she doesn't appear as much in this as she does in creed 2 which is a shame but what time she does have on the screen absolutely amazing she carries that opening and we'll get to it to a second um it's it's amazing and she does a wonderful wonderful job uh tony Ballou as I don't even know if I'm saying, is it Bellew? Bellew? As pretty Ricky Conlon, he's fantastic. He, 
Uh, it's it's funny because he's another boxer turned actor for the film, and he's not on the level of of um, uh, Florian Montano, but he's leagues ahead of Antonio Tarver. Uh, again, no disrespect to to Tarver, but he's just he's a fully formed character, and he's a character who you get to kind of sit with, and you get to learn about, and you get to empathize with in a way. And it makes the final fight hit that much harder. No pun intended. Uh, quick little tip of the hat also to Graham McTavish as Tommy Holiday, uh, Colin's trainer, who is amazing. Uh, he's been in a bunch of things. He was in uh, Outlander. He's been um, just in a, a ton of things. Uh, but he's wonderful in this. Uh, there's a moment where you know he's trying to sell the fight to Conlon, and Conlon's like, I don't want my last fight to be against some, like, no-name rookie. And he's like, I don't care what you want. I care about putting food on your kid's plate when you're in prison. Like, you can tell there's a relationship there, and I'd love to learn more about that relationship. But, obviously, huge ups to Sylvester Stallone as Rocky. Um, this, I believe, got him the Golden Globe for Supporting Actor, unless I'm mistaken. Uh, he is incredible in this, showing a vulnerability to the character that we hadn't seen since Rocky Three, And I, I fell in love with the character all over again. There's not much else to say about it. He's incredible. His, uh, his chemistry with, I mean, really everybody... Everybody he interacts with in the film is dynamic. It's incredible. It's inspiring, really, as a performer to see how much he as an actor has grown and how much that character has grown. And I love seeing every single scene that he's in. And speaking of scenes, obviously, let's talk about this. The opening, again, continues to be strong. Every opening in every Rocky film is strong. And this one rules dealing with uh, Marianne meeting Adonis for the first time. Um, the mo Oh, God. The lead into the title card of just like, I knew your father, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, what was his name? And then it just fades into Creed. Just, oh, it's so good. Gets me so hyped. Um, Adonis meeting Rocky for the first time at Adrian's, the restaurant. It's just, oh, it's so good. And the moment where he's like, I heard, again, he, he asks, you know, who won the, the third fight? And Rocky says, well, he did. Like, it's just such a great moment of giving uh, giving tribute to that character and to Carl Weathers and his performances. It's just, it's incredible. Um, also, I said it before, I'm going to say it again. Uh, every Adonis and Bianca scene. I love their chemistry. They're incredible together. It's There's just something magical about two attractive people just being attractive together. It's wonderful. I love their scenes i love their meet cute i love every single bit of the two of them together uh the big thing that i remember knocking my socks off the first time i watched this the one take fight his fight against leo the lion uh i can't remember his last name but it's all one take uh obviously i'm sure there are little cuts and whatever but it doesn't matter i don't care i had never seen that in a boxing movie before and watching that was electric i remember bolting up in my chair when i realized that they hadn't cut and it was amazing 
Uh, the pre-fight passing of the torch before the uh, Conlin fight, where he gets his boxing trunks that say Creed on the front and Johnson on the back. So freaking cool. What a wonderful moment. Uh, Conlin's entrance sits in my mind all the time. I still think about it. The, the fire uh, breather, like the music, the soundtrack of this is immaculate. <laughs> it's so freaking good. Um, the final fight is incredible. I love the dynamic between Adonis and Conlin. The two of them have really good chemistry as well. Uh, the fight is just incredible. Again, Adonis doesn't win, but it's not about that. It's about him proving to himself. And he says it in the... Uh, in the film, he says, I need to prove it that I'm not a mistake. And it's just, ah, it's so wonderful. And the ending, where the two of them go up the steps and they get to look out into the Philly skyline. Oh, did I forget to mention the amazing training montage? Let's get into this. Let's just freaking talk about it. Every training montage ranks. Because of course I had to talk about it. Of course I had to rank them. At number 8, Rocky Five. Uh, it's it's really not even a Rocky montage. It's just a montage about Tommy Gunn getting good and getting trained by Rocky and fighting people. 1 out of 10, the Tommy Gunn effect. At number 7, the first Rocky. 4 out of 10, it's a lonely soldier. I think people forget that the... Uh, the first Rocky montage is kind of sad because no one believes in him. It's about his strength of spirit. Four out of ten, set the groundwork, but it's not as good as the others. At number six, we have Rocky Balboa. Six out of ten, this is the Duke Evers show. You're gonna hit him so hard that he's gonna feel it in his ancestors. He does the neck crack, he's like, crack, crack, yeah! Like, ah, it gets me so hyped. I love it so much. But again, it's kind of formulaic in its, uh, in its design and in its presentation. Number five, Rocky Three, seven out of ten. It's Apollo O'Clock, the only montage that really includes the two of them training together. It's wonderful, gets you super hyped. Doesn't use Eye of the Tiger, which I think was a mistake, and probably why it ranks so low. And number four, we have Creed Two, eight out of ten. Running is a song that I routinely go back to. It gets me incredibly hyped. The score of the Creed films are wonderful. And watching him grow from man into Superman is amazing. Number three, Rocky Two, eight out of ten. It's also, this is the iconic one. This is the one that everyone remembers and everyone incorrectly attributes to the first Rocky movie. The kids running, him punching stuff, him getting ready to get into this rematch, him leading the entire city of Philadelphia to the steps and celebrating with them on his way to fight Creed. Number two, we have Rocky Four, nine out of ten, hearts on fire, strong desire. It is quite possibly one of the greatest scenes in cinema. Him running up the mountain, him doing crunches in the barn, all of the steroids that Drago does. It's amazing. It tells a story. And of course, number one, Creed, 10 out of 10. I cry every time. I watch it every time that he's running at the end. And you just hear the I cry every time. I cry every time. 
Oh, God. I love training montages. Uh, the Rocky movies gave me a distinct love of montages, but especially training montages. And the best training montages in the Rocky franchise tell a story. They're not just there to say, okay, he's training. Uh, what I really enjoy about the Rocky II uh, montage is showing him... I mean, first off, it starts off incredibly with Adrian going, like, I want you to win. And then seeing that revitalization, him, you know, getting back into fighting shape. Um, Creed, obviously, about him forging his own path but at the same time him and rocky fighting together i fight you fight that's why it's so good also the legacy aspect of it of course uh creed 2 with him learning how to uh withstand the struggle and also him dealing with the fact that boxing isn't his life he also has bianca he has amara and of course rocky 4 telling the story of ha Hearts on fire, strong desire. Ah, da, da. It's the Rocky Four montage could be a movie in itself. It's just, it's amazing. But overall, when it comes to these films, I if if you can't tell, I love them. I've loved them since I was young. I will continue to love them. I will continue to share them with anyone who is willing to listen. And I am so excited for Creed 3. I just... I... <sighs> I love these movies. I'm really excited at the prospect of diving into a Creed movie and it being a uniquely Creed movie and not like a Rocky Legacy sequel. The thing about Creed 2 and it being, you know, this moment of Rocky passing the torch to Creed and saying it's your time, tying up all the loose ends from the Rocky movies and allowing Creed 3 to stand on its own is magical. And I cannot wait to see if we get a Creed 4, Creed 5, Creed 6. Uh, if we don't, cool. If we just get three Creed movies, awesome. But I will always love these movies. And I mean, there's 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 nothing much more to be said about these films. They are iconic for a reason. They will always have their place forever in especially American cinema. Um, they helped me figure out stuff what i like to see the stories i like to uh like to experience back when i was a kid as an adult and even further on uh you can say that my love for these films is only getting stronger my name is barry allen and i am the fastest man alive when I was a child, I saw my mother killed by something impossible. My father went to prison for her murder. Then an accident made me the impossible. To the outside world, I'm an ordinary forensic scientist. But secretly, I use my speed to fight crime and find others like me. And one day, I'll find who killed my mother and get justice for my father. I am the Flash.
It is now time for the weekly review. This is the segment of our show where I review something weekly. And right now we are reviewing episode three of the final season of The Flash, entitled Rogues of War. Uh, this was a fun episode. Uh, it's basically centered around a heist. Uh, we get to see Flash kind of get together a team of villains or former enemies at least to pull off a heist so that uh the red deaths rogues don't get their hands on a basically a another smaller particle accelerator um it's fun it's fun it's a weird uh odd job like you get these characters together you get obviously hartley's there um what is his name um, the gold guy. I forget his name. I'm I'm just gonna let's look it up. Let's let's do this. Let's look this up live as we're recording this. Um, we get to see. Uh, also, I mean, we got to see Ragdoll. Uh, we got to see Rag. No, it's not Ragdoll. Um, uh, Murmur, I think, is her name. Uh, so Murmur, is that right? I don't remember. It's, 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 it's the quiet one. Uh, <laughs> it's dumb. Um, but we find out that Red Death is essentially stealing things to make a cosmic treadmill. We don't know to what end, but we do know it's going to be a problem. Uh, so the Flash gets this team together. So he brings together um, Hartley. He brings together... <sighs> Chills Blaine, Mark, whatever his face. Uh, we get Jacko, which was really fun. Uh, Goldface! We get Goldface, who I love. He's a great character. Uh, who I guess usurped Amunet and took over her gang. Um, it's a fun little heist story. There's not a whole lot of substance to it besides them kind of getting together, learning about Barry being the Flash, which is hilarious that as the season is going along, everyone is just learning that he's the Flash. Um... And also the Red Death making their appearance for the first time to uh, to Barry and Co. Getting the rogues together was really fun. Um, though they have a steep downgrade now that they included Mark on the team. It's, it's just barely balanced out because you got a Captain Boomerang there, but... I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, but the big crux of this was obviously the Red Death. Who is the Red Death? What is their deal? And we got a tease. I was wondering, and I mean, you heard me talk about it last week. I wasn't sure how they were going to tell the story of Red Death without a Bruce Wayne. They haven't had a Bruce Wayne. And for those of you, spoilers in the comics... Red Death is a composite of Bruce and Barry. And so I was wondering how they were going to uh, communicate that, how they're going to translate that into the CW-verse. Well, it kind of seems like they are going in a di same but different way with this, because it's revealed at the end of the episode that Red Death is actually Batwoman. Now, I'm going to assume that this isn't our Batwoman and that this is actually a multiversal counterpart to, um, oh, what is her name? Uh, it's something, uh, Ryan Wilder, Ryan Wilder, uh, that it's like an alternate universe version of her that either bonded with, uh, Barry or the route I'm pretty sure they're probably going to go with like a multi a speedster iris or even if they wanted to be really messed up have it be nora um 
bonded together and now she's trying to get a cosmic treadmill working for some reason. What is that reason? Couldn't tell you. I don't know, but we're going to find out. Apparently this week we're supposed to figure out, or we're supposed to get, I'm assuming, the backstory of Red Death. Because it's like part one of a two-part, like, Mask of the Red Death or something where we're going to get the backstory. So, oh, Mask. What if they blend, like, Mask of the Phantasm? That would be interesting. That would be weird. I don't know how they do that. But either way, we should be finding more about... uh, red death as we go along but that really does it i mean the episode is fun again it's a it's an episode that focuses a lot on you know the heist aspect bringing in characters that we haven't seen in a while and also upping the stakes and giving us that reveal of the red death at the end so we'll see we'll see i'm curious to see how this goes because i'm sure a lot of people and i saw after i watched the episode a lot of people were not super about this change so we'll see what happens we'll see what happens uh, but i'm interested we've got 10 episodes left which is crazy it's only a 13 episode season so we will just have to see and we'll catch up right back here next week to see how episode four goes but for now let's roll right on into this week's comics countdown Welcome back to this week's Comics Countdown! This is the segment of our show where I'll chat you up about all the comics you should be picking up this week. Whether it's at your local comic book shop, a comicsology, or however you get your comics, these are the ones I think you should definitely take a look at. But before we get into this week's books, we got to take a look back at last week's books with the Geeksplain Pick of the Week of last week. And honestly, it was like splitting hairs with my top two picks, but ultimately, I had to give it to One Bad Day Clayface number one written by the hive mind of jackson lansing and colin kelly with art by zermonico um this book hit me really hard as an actor living in la so (laughs) it just eked out through uh or past superman number one which is incredible everyone should be reading it uh i loved both of these books but One Bad Day Clayface was amazing. If you haven't read it, do yourself a favor. Go read it right now. But that's last week. This week I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight books for you to check out. So let's go ahead and dive into it. First off, kicking off this list with a doubleheader of Bat Family, we've got Tim Drake Robin number six. This is written by Megan Fitzmartin, friend of the podcast, Megan Fitzmartin, with art by Riley Rosmo. And I think this is the end of the current arc. Uh, we do know that Robin is continuing past this, so it's an ongoing, not a miniseries, which I'm so excited about. But I am very curious to see how this wraps up and how the story moves forward. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. The Final Showdown. Tim Drake comes face to voice with the villain who's been taunting Tim by using his metahuman powers to create ghostly animals. When this Moriarty's identity is revealed, all hell breaks loose in the marina. Can Tim keep things afloat while simultaneously dealing with his relationship with Bernard? Now, there's been a lot of interplay and a lot of like teasing and a lot of speculation that Bernard might ultimately be Moriarty. I don't think that's going to be the case, but I will be interested to see if I am wrong. Then in our the second of our double bat header, we have Batman versus Robin number five. This is written by Mark Wade, art by Mahmoud Azrar. This is the end of Batman versus Robin, I think. This is the conclusion. This is 
I guess, the true ending of Lazarus Planet, because Lazarus Planet was part of this. Uh, it does say on the cover, Lazarus Planet epilogue. So this is going to conclude those moments, and we'll find out just what they have in store for us. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Chapter 5, Finale. Will father and son reconcile or rumble? The Lazarus Volcano has left its impact on planet Earth, but the fallout from Bruce and Damian Wayne's war is far from over. It's been a long road from the initial tensions that drove a wedge between father and son in the pages of Teen Titans, but is the hatchet at last ready to be buried? A bold new chapter in the lives of Batman and Robin begins in this epic final issue. So we're going to get the direction for both of these characters, which I am very curious about. We'll just have to see how this all wraps up. Next up, we have a brand new number one. This is Hallow's Eve number one! Uh, we talked about this if you missed out on last week's episode. Uh, guest Zach McCrary of the Comics That We Love podcast swung by to talk all things Ben Riley, and we talked about Hallow's Eve getting her own series. I don't know if this is a mini or an ongoing We'll just have to find out. But I am very excited about this. Janine Godby is a character that I really, really adore. And I can't wait to see what else they have in store for her. This is written by Erica Schultz with art by Michael Dowling. I am ready. Let's dive into the synopsis. Spinning out of Amazing Spider-Man, Hallow's Eve gets her own series. Janine Godby's world has been blown up several times in her life, but this time, she has a bag of super-powered masks and a chip on her shoulder. She's on the run from the police, but there's someone else after her, too. Don't miss this breakout character break even bigger. I think there is genuinely potential for this character to be, like, the next punchline, who is a character who... I think really has gotten a resurgence and from the get-go people were loving I think a lot of people were into this Hallow's Eve character even though the new Amazing Spider-Man run has been very divisive I am very excited to see what this character has in store can't wait to pick this up next up we have the Sandman universe Dead Boy Detectives number three this is written by Pornsock Pachette showed with art by Jeff Stokely this book rules I don't know what else to tell you if you like Asian-American stories, Dead Boy Detectives. If you like horror, Dead Boy Detectives. If you like detective noir stories, Dead Boy Detectives. If you like friends just doing friend things, Dead Boy Detectives. You should be reading this. It's wonderful. Absolutely love this. The first two issues have been dynamite. I'm really excited to dive further into Thai horror. Uh, what we've seen so far has been terrifying, so I'm very excited to see what issue three has in store for us. Next up, we have Spider-Man, number six. This is written by Dan Slott with art by Mark Bagley. I to the fucking loved Spider-Man number five. So I don't know how this book is going to top that, but we will just have to see. Let's dive into the synopsis. End of the Spider-Verse, Part 6, The Once and Future Queen. We met possibly the most important character in all of the Spider-Verse last issue. Shothra's big plan gets even bigger, and the last bit of hope is about to be crushed. What that tells me, dear listener, is that Silk is the most important Spider character, and I love that for her. More Silk, please. I am excited to pick this up. Cannot wait to see what they have for us. Next up, we have Action Comics number 1052. This is written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Dan Jurgens, and Leah Williams, with art by Marguerite Savage, Rafa Sandoval, and Lee Weeks. Uh, I loved the first 
I guess, opening salvo of this new era in the Super Family comics. Uh, I can't wait to pick this up. I'm very, very excited. Superman number one is really strong. Action Comics is really strong. When's the last time we've been able to say that? Uh, let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. House of Metallo slash Home Again Part 2 slash Head Like a Hole Part 2. Metallo attacks! The crown jewel of Superman's new metropolis is in ruins, and the increasingly violent Blue Earth movement is keeping the entire superfamily on their toes. Meanwhile, Metallo's powerful new body is evolving in unforeseen, horrific ways. As Metallo's life and sanity continues to unravel, he sets out to capture the only person who can help him, John Henry Irons. It's Steel versus Metallo as the new era of action comics continues. That sounds dope as hell, and I don't think they've ever done that before, so I am stoked to see what they do here. Next up, we have Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number 10. This is written once again by the Hive Mind, Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, with art by Carmen Carnero. Uh, I love this book. Uh, last issue was a total mindfuck, and I'm very excited to see if that continues this time around. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Captured! Captain America and the new invaders are caught in the excruciating clutches of MODOK, the mental organism designed only for control. Can they escape before the Outer Circle completes its takeover of Manhattan and acquires a weapon that could change the course of history? No matter what, one of them won't make it out alive. Ooh, okay. I... Place your bets. Place your bets on who's dying. Um, I'm gonna say it's the Destroyer, but we'll see! We'll see. I... Once again, we've been loving this book. Um, I absolutely adore what they're doing with both cat books right now, and I cannot wait to pick this up. But the big book of the week, the book I think you should absolutely be picking up, is, of course, The Human Target, number 12. Written by Tom King, art by Greg Smallwood. We've been waiting for this. The conclusion of one of the best 12-issue maxi-series in the last few years. And that's saying something. Uh, I cannot wait to pick this up. I'm frothing at the mouth to pick this up. Uh, so let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis. Chapter 12. Kill. Christopher Chance has spent the last 12 days trying to solve his own murder, with the list of suspects comprising the Justice League International. Did a hero really attempt to kill Lex Luthor? Could the human target have miscalculated? Is it too late to save his life? Golly, I hope so. <laughs> One of the hallmarks of Detective Noir is that the hero usually loses at the end. Um, and I think it would kind of cheapen the story if Christopher Chance survives this. Obviously, that would mean that Human Target gets to have more adventures. But I don't know. I kind of like the idea of him dying at the end of this and it being like a lasting thing. Also, obviously, uh, the canonicity of the story is always in question with how things are. But... I, I hope that we get a satisfying ending. We will just have to see. But that does it for this week's Comics Countdown. To recap, we have Tim Drake Robin number six, Batman versus Robin number five, Hallow's Eve number one, The Dead Man Universe, The Dead Boy Detectives number three, Spider-Man number six, Action Comics 1052, Captain America Sentinel of Liberty number 10, and The Human Target number 12. You know what they say, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end, so maybe it's time to end your not reading comics time and begin reading some great comics. 
And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, feel free to subscribe to us on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday, and honestly, ratings, reviews, and subscriptions really do help me and the podcast out in this weird podcasting algorithm space. Raises up our stock and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. And if you give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here on the podcast. You can write literally anything you want. I will be forced to read every single word. As long as you give me those five stars, the sky's the limit on what you can write. And you'll be able to join the likes of our Fantastic 14, including Seafire ND, Josh Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, Burrito Man 88, Doug from For Every Kind of Geek, Don Swanson, That Guy Brian, Mouth Dork, Dallas Meeks, Amazing Spider Fan, A-Lock and AZ, Sass, Jedi Jesse, 20 and 10, 4, 6, 5, 6. I want to say a huge thank you to these fine folks for their reviews, and I cannot wait to hear yours. If you want to be part of the Geeksplained mailbag, send your emails to geeksplained at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header, and I will read it here on the Wednesday show. If you'd like to follow us, keep up to date with the podcast, participate in polls that decide future episodes, or maybe you just want to shoot the shit with me on the latest geeky news, you know there's a lot of it. Feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at GeeksplainedPod. That's at GeeksplainedPod. More active currently on Twitter. I'm learning to be more active on Instagram. But if you want updates on things, if you want announcements, that would be the place to go. Finally, every single Friday is the Geeksplain Book Club, where I, alongside my fellow Cape Crusaders, Malcolm Russell Nelson and Jacob Brown, are going through every single issue of every single volume of Grant Morrison's Batman. And this week, we are tackling the story that kicked off the second act of Morrison's run, Batman R.I. Uh, this is one that we've been waiting to get to. This has a lot of twists and turns, so make sure you tune in this Friday and every Friday because Gotham Fridays are a real thing. Be there or be square, not a circle. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed my ranking of the Rocky and Creed films. Again, if you have a different ranking, if you disagree, if you want to chat about it, feel free. Hit me up. Let's talk on Twitter. Let's uh, exchange some emails. Let's make it happen. I want to have these conversations with you. Let's keep that rolling. I'm super excited to watch Creed 3. As of this recording, I have my tickets. I'm ready to go. Cannot wait to watch this here film. But the big thing, that I wanted to uh, kind of tag on the end here is that uh, next week is our five-year anniversary. Uh, Episode 245, 245 episodes of this podcast. It's going to be our five-year anniversary. I hope you join me for that. Um, It's going to be special. Hopefully. We'll see. Um, but I am very excited to share in the festivities with all of you. Thank you so much for listening, whether you started from the beginning or you hopped on some way in between that and now, uh, can't wait to share in the, uh, in the festivities and I can't wait to ring in five years with you all. So join me for that next week, same geek time, same geek channel, but for now for the Geeksplained podcast, I've been Eric Azana. Thank you so much for listening. Stay safe and we will. See you next time.